Tom Teodorchuk, the the reason we're having this conversation is because you are my dream audience. You are someone who has listened to a lot of these football library talks, and you are number one hundred and sixty. So I've wow. really I've really got it down pat now. At least I hope I would. And the more I do, the more I learn. It's actually about listening to what the interviewee has to say. I've got three names here, but you can only talk about one of them: Matt Damon. Anthony the Mooch, Scaramucci, and Jacob Rees-Mogg. So you can only talk about one of them because we've got to get back to football. But because your LinkedIn profile says you've spoken to all three, who's yeah. who were you most uh, impressed with? Oh, God. Um, let's talk about Matt Damon. I feel sorry for him now because he's a very open, outgoing person and he gets himself into a lot of trouble on social media. But I interviewed Matt Damon for... Um, it was old. It was supposed to be the Spectator. Then they couldn't fit it in, and it was when True True Grip um, came out, and it was when Obama was having his um, honeymoon period. Yes, twenty oh nine, two thousand ten. Mm-hmm. I think I think everything changed with the midterms, didn't they? Two thousand ten. Yes. Uh, but anyway, oh, Matt Damon just launched into a um, attack on Barack Obama's education policy, and. and and his, it was, this was at a time when every single Hollywood star was being asked about Obama. And from New York, I was very conscious of that. And it was a junket situation. So, so there were other journalists in the room. Anyway, I just thought that was quite interesting. And he was very articulate about the flaws he saw appearing in, in Obama's education policy under, I think it was Arnie Duncan. Anyway, so, so I couldn't get it in the spectator. Uh, the spectator commi- uh, commissioned it and then... And then, you know, that occasionally happened and, and, and you uh, shopped it around. So it was, you know, a, an interview with Damon's for Company True Grit and eventually, to cut a long story short, The Independent on Sunday took it. For me, it was a very early um, early instance of the piece I wrote going going viral, I suppose. It, mm. it, yeah, it, yeah. it spread, spread like prairie fire because of what Matt Damon said about Obama. And then it reached a point where it was a White House journalist's... Um, dinner, right? Presidential media dinner. I can't remember the formal name, but it was... Correspondence dinner. Correspondence dinner. And Obama made a reference to Matt Damon um, on the back of that piece in terms of the the, the criticism that Matt Damon um, had um, directed at him, that I had reported on. And um, what, was, what was amusing was that a minute before or a minute later, he attacked Trump. And of course, that's the that's what everybody remembers from that. Yep. Um, from that night, but I remember Obama indirectly citing my uh, my Matt Damon piece. But he's a um, he's a very interesting guy. In terms of football, Matt Damon's interesting because he when he was over appearing in one of my favourite plays. This is our youth on the West End. He went to Arsenal. But then he said he supported Spurs hmm. a few years later. So I'd quite like to meet him and ask him um, and ask him what he actually um, who he actually supports. Oh, well, you you missed the junket. He's got this film Stillwater that's just come out, which yeah. uh, has, has, as you know, brought more controversy. Um, His team have probably yeah. told him to not get take a year off, Matt. Get Ben Affleck uh, to I'd talk about to, it. It's Affleck's I'd love time. To find out. The other, the other, the other Hollywood thing I, I did in regards to football was um, I interviewed Jason Sudeikis. And that was for the Independent. That was going to be my next after, question. That was after Ted Lasso, 
And but there was after sorry, it was after it was after he was Ted Lasso at Spurs when NBC launched their their coverage. Um, they had this idea that Jason Sudeikis would would go to a Premier League ground and record a funny skit, but um, everyone kept turning them down until Tottenham said, "Sure." Now one wonders. I have actually spoken to someone at the club about this who had told me that everyone said no until Tottenham said yes. And you do wonder whether there was a, a fiscal incentive involved here. But anyway, um, Tottenham said yes. And I mistakenly heard that Sinekis was a Spurs fan. So I think the interview was to promote Horrible Bosses 2. <laughs> yeah. um, I deviated from Horrible, Horrible Bosses 2 to ask him about Spurs, he made it really clear that um, he didn't follow English football, but it was a fun thing to do. Not only did he have fun, he said that he would very much like Ted Ted Lasso to be a series. Um, I think that might have been the first time that he ever articulated that in in uh, in, in, in public. I, I just remember I just remember being disappointed that he wasn't a Spurs fan. He might be now. Um, I haven't watched Ted Lasso. I've heard about it. The second series is on now. I'm more interested in the British characters, Brett Goldstein and Nick Mohammed, who are both very, very accomplished stage performers. Uh, and Sudeikis, this is the role of his lifetime because it's the right moment for an American sports coach to be involved in. Is it Richmond FC? That's the team. So it's based yes. in Surrey. Um, and I must watch it because every episode of Ted Lasso and Jossie's Giants and Dream Team, I think I've gone 160 episodes without mentioning Dream uh, Team and Hardchester United and Renford Rejects, which is one of my favourite TV shows of all time. You might be a bit old for Renford Rejects. I don't remember it, no. Uh, Nickelodeon, uh, late 90s, early 2000s. It was a no-hope group of teams. Came on just before Bend It Like Beckham. Um, became the popular show. Because I should say, you went to Durham University at the end of the 1990s. Durham is more of a cricket town than a football town. But did you get to St. James's Park when you were up there? Yeah, I went there once. And also, um, so so I was there at Durham between 98 and 2000. So you had those two FA Cup finals. And I was very involved with the student paper Palatina. I was desperate at that time to be a journalist. So I was like obsessed with pursuing high-profile people for interviews and um, people in Durham at that time it was quite the Sloney contingent I always remember talking to quite the Raz exactly uh, who they'd like to interview and me to interview and they'd always say Elizabeth Hurley never got to interview her but I did interview Alan Shearer um, when he was at Newcastle Um, and it was it was a PR at Newcastle called Graham, and he was really nice, but he just like, he'd say, turn up at 11, turn up at 11 to the training ground. And I turned up at 11 um, for days on end. Um, it was a bit like Cinema Paradiso, where I was just waiting for the girl in the rain, but, but it was sheer. I, I just remember, it was, it was looking back, it was quite resilient, because I just thought, well, eventually I'll get Shearer. And I did. And um, Shearer said that he really wants to go into management, and I talked a lot with him about his time at Southampton when he was in his mid-teens. And, yeah, he gave me 20 minutes of his time. I don't know now if that would happen to no. an equivalent student journalist. Absolutely like to, not. You'd have to go through someone and you get six and it was, minutes. You know, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was 20 minutes. It was just me and him. It was Rude Hullet, I think, was the manager. But it was, he was coming towards the end of his uh, 
Yeah, they and fell out. They really did time. fall out. So I don't know what he told you about yeah. that. No, no, he didn't. Very true. Very... I did ask him. Well, I said to Brian, I remember calling up Brian, who was my de facto advisor, and I said, what do I ask Shearer? And he said, ask him if Rude Hullets ever, ever used the phrase sexy football. Mm. Uh, because, of course, he'd used that on BBC. And Alan said, no, he hadn't um, ever used that term. So, uh, so he made it, you know, he didn't go out of his way to, to praise Hullet. I just also remember, while I was waiting for Shearer, just seeing the, um, the players go to their cars, like David Batty and... and Grievous. Do you remember, remember Stefan Grievous? David Batty had quite a small car because he really didn't like the trappings of his profession. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, That's I know. He was, he was kind of the, the most unfootball unfo- football person out there, isn't he, David, David Batty? I think I'm going to um, have him in the library. I need to give him a job, not like cleaner or something. Um, yeah. but, but this is the point when Tom Teodorczyk, I ask you what role you want because I need, I might need a magazine librarian uh, to sort out yeah. the various fanzines and shoots and matches and I'd love that I'd love that I just bought a bunch of goal magazines from the 90s on eBay goal was fantastic because mid 90s you had 442 I think you had total football which I never got into and you had uh, goal and uh, Southgate's a columnist on 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 goal oh, right. so you have the player the reporter the writer's Henry Winter the player is Southgate, and he says all kinds of interesting things. There's one column where he says he ends up concluding that the government shouldn't have anything to do with football, which I'm not mm. sure he'd say now, but he was saying that in respect of football has so much money flowing through it in the, in the late 90s that uh, it doesn't need money from the government. That's well, I imagine because he point. was in Doug he Ellis's employment sorry, that, at the that, time. That made, that, that made Southgate kind of sound like a, a kind of founding member of the British Tea Party, which he most certainly wasn't. It was, it was a more nuanced point than I'm making. But anyway, it's, it's certainly a very interesting interesting column that Southgate had in, in goal. I mean, the other thing that struck me was uh, there was a, a great goal magazine cover of um, Ryan Giggs and um, Andy Cole and the, uh, when they're at Man United and the, the caption is, quote, are you calling my mate crap? Which is not something that I would imagine. You know, you aren't going to see that that irreverent line on a four four two cover next month, for instance. Four four two, and I admire it, but it has basically become client journalism for football. It's PR, and I'm sure there'll be a Nuno cover, just as there was a Harry Kane cover. Yeah. It's it's base it's what Soccer yeah. AM is. It's what Sky Sports is for football. It's the the bastard six, as I keep calling them. And Spurs, I'm afraid, are in the bastard six. So I wondered this well, season. Well, well, yeah, but we, we, we are. But we were just, you know, we we were just lucky to be there. So we kind of got in by it's that with now and I thing, isn't it? We got on holiday by mistake. We joined yeah. the Super League by mistake. So I don't think that. Yeah, I think that it was obviously unwise and um, not. Uh, the right thing to do but on the other hand there was a vicarious thrill out of being considered up there with the best of the best when you haven't won well anything in since 2008 and you haven't won the league since 1961 yes Um, Spurs should really be along with West Ham and Newcastle and Everton 
in the the also rans, but because of the Pochettino era and the Mourinho era to an extent, basically you are the Harry Kane team. What happens when you take Harry Kane out of the team? You are going to have to find a centre forward. Uh, I think it'll be yeah. Raúl Jiménez, but don't quote me on that. But instead of talking Spurs, let's talk Kingstonian because you dropped in the fact that you covered Kingstonian. So when you were a young journalist and your uncle was uh, bringing footballers home. Your closest club, if you're in West London, uh, the closest club that you can get really in the weeds with were Kingstonian, who at that time were their conference club. If, me and Lee. If, me and... I think it yeah, was called Ice League then. I did work experience on the Richmond and Twickenham Times, and they had all kinds of offshoots of that. And then I did some Brentford writing and I was asked if I wanted to, to cover Kingstonian for the Kingston Serpent in the New Morden Times. It taught me more than I thought at the time because the manager of Kingstonian was a guy called Billy Smith who had been at Dulwich Hamlets and he he played a part in um, Alan Pardew and Ian Wright, um, Andy Gray and he he was great with me because I was um, I was you know, so young or 17 or 18 and I just didn't have a clue what I was doing. And, and he kind of taught me how to, how to act as a journalist, you know, with, with someone. But I, I seen, I seen realized that, you know, I, I remember calling Brian and saying for the first game and saying that I had to cover, you know, what do I write here? So Brian really helped me out early on. And I actually, I got into a groove and then uh, the last ever thing I did was um, Kingstonian lost 2-1 to Plymouth it was managed by Neil Warnock oh. and um, in the FA Cup third round and um, the Kingston Service and New Morton Times instead of saying January 1995 they said January 1955 which amused me at the time and um I gave up because I had my A-levels. The tricky thing was it was unpaid. And I, th- I don't even think I got my expenses paid. And my mother marched into the office and demanded remuneration, which which they wouldn't give me. But um, So I think there was that as well. I would actually had to, had to pay, but it was, it was worth every penny because it, it taught me a lot. My other footballing encounter from that time was my Brian's son, Gavin, my cousin mm-hmm. worked for Sky Sports um, covering the Premier League. And again, cricket's his favourite sport. He does a lot of cricket directing now. So the strange situation where he'd say, oh, you know, I went to Liverpool and hung out with Roy Evans and Jamie Redknapp, but what I really want to do is, is cricket. But anyway, I think as an 18th birthday present, he took me to this Sky Sports um, party for Premier League Hall of Fame or something like that in Canary Wharf. And... Um, David Rowcastle oh, wow. was there. And I just remember, so Chris Evans was there and the Gallagher brothers was there. This is peak Britpop. Indeed, but, yes. Um, David Rowcastle was there. And I just remember going up to David Rowcastle. And again, just not being, you know, being kind of quite tactless, I suppose. And I said, I, did, I thought, well, I don't want to ask David Rowcastle to ask. Um, and he's not having a good time. Uh, I think he was from Chelsea then. Mm-hmm. So yes. I asked him about Leeds. I just walked up to him, what happened to Leeds? And he was so sweet to me about it. And he just talked to me about Leeds. I said, yeah, I'm not really sure. It's really weird. I got there and Howard Wilkinson um, just didn't rate me. And, and it was just difficult. And it was, again, I think now, if some young whippersnapper walks up to Delhi Alley 
<laughs> what's going on at Tottenham or whatever, he'd be given very short shrift. But David Rocastle responded as far as the most normal normal question in the world. Well, I think I think the tide is changing. I've uh, I would describe someone like Aaron Ramsey or Eric Dyer as a postmodern footballer because you're no longer bling 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 the kind of Jesse Lingard, Phil Bardsley, Wayne Rooney era. I think not just the kappa nicking, not just the social conscience, but I am fascinated now. Uh, obviously, I'm writing this book about the FA Youth Cup, um, which will come out next year. But the one after that, if I get that far, is the relationship between the professional footballer and the fanatic. Because at this stage, when you have someone like Gigi Vinaldum saying, yeah, I love Liverpool, but the fans online, they'd always blamed me. Are we going to see more of that? We're going to see more of these imbeciles with a platform who don't know any better, just going, oh, get out of my club, you cost me money or whatever. So I wonder if all these professional footballers actually want an engaged fan base, a fan base who can stop them in the street, like my Uncle Clive, who would just say to someone, he's good mates with Nigel Gibbs, and he would just say, yeah, what's going on? You tell me what you want to tell me. If you don't want to tell me something or say off the record, I won't repeat it. So maybe that aspect of football journalism and journalism in itself has changed because now everything is mediated through an agent, a rep, uh, someone doing the tweet for them. It has changed, the era. I think the law of averages means that you're always going to have the idiots, aren't you? I mean, I, I certainly uh, remember um, going to see QPR when, with a friend when Les Ferdinand was, was playing for them and the guy behind us just slagging Les Ferdinand off to, to high heaven. And I'm sure that... I'm sure that you know, Letizia is one of my favourite players outside Spurs, and I'm sure that even at the Dell in ninety in the mid nineties, there would have been yeah. Saints fans who thought Letizia didn't work hard enough. So you're always going to have that quotient, aren't you? It's just sad that that it's been amplified so much. What I don't know is how you differentiate between the engaged fans and the um, the unsavoury element. How, how, where where do you draw the lines of demarcation? It does seem that um, the younger fans um, seem a bit more, you know, civilized and mm. keen. But you know, you, depends on the fan. When you are young, when you are a kid, though, football is so special, isn't it? So um, maybe 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 they maybe some fans start off very endearing and end up mm. um, bitter and twisted. Do I you don't know. know. I'm sure because I keep banging on about Troy Deeney, but it is very rare that a Watford footballer has a book that gets onto the shelves of the football library. We know Troy's story. Uh, He's put it in a book that's published next week, as you listen to this, called Redemption. The publicity will be very interesting. Will he go on talk shows? I imagine he'll get an hour on talk sport. Um, Nihal, perhaps, will have him on Five Live. Um, But it's Troy Deeney is a figure who is Mr. Watford. So if you grow up in Watford, you will know who Troy Deeney is. You might support Spurs or Arsenal because they've got Champions League football. But the reason I turned to Watford was not because Troy was there. He actually went off to prison in 2012. It was because I thought, well, why don't I support my local team that I can walk to rather because I fell out of love with football, as everyone does. Did you ever fall out of love with the game itself? Yeah, absolutely. I when I moved to New York, I I, I wasn't watching Spurs much at all. And uh, what got me back in actually was all these Arsenal fans in New York. Because um, New York is is full of Arsenal fans. It's just remarkable. And I think that's because 
that's because it coincides with um, the, the boom and in interest coincides with the uh, with Arsenal doing the, well in the MLS. Yeah, so called invincibles. Um, but um, and then that really got, and 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 they they say these ridiculous things. Why do you support Arsenal? And you say, oh well, my last name is Holloway, and that's got Arsenal connotations. Or oh my great 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 granddad was born in Arsenal and, I, and that kind of really kicked off the Spurs I know exactly what you mean though I've gone through phases where I've just been disaffected and you know disen, disen, yeah. disenchanted well what um, is, what's going like to annoy reading. me is when Spurs beat Watford 6-0 and all the fans who were cheering Shishko suddenly go oh he's out of his depth he can't manage it's basically the same squad with a couple of additions Dini is now fit. I just hope the imbecilic fans, whom I spent last year kind of at war with, um, at one stage something really awful was about to happen. I thought maybe I should disengage because this isn't, no one's winning here. Um, But the idea of Watford FC as the 18th best club in the division is going to hit people quite hard when last season we could barely get results in the first half of the season and just did very well in the second half. The other thing I think about Dini is that he's been a port in a storm, hasn't he? So managers have come and go, like dumb waiters trapped. He'd get some of them sacked. He would and, say, do you want me or do you want them? He's always, he's always the consistency. You know, it's, it's almost like he's, um, there's a certain kind of footballing immortality Troy, Troy Dini has. Um, yeah. I suppose even though the likes of Cleverly, Cathcart and Foster have all returned and it's such a shame because we're speaking uh, in the week that Will Hughes who I thought was a future Watford captain has been frozen out because I think he can see the signs now I've got this book here it's a really close-up picture uh, the, I found the book in uh, the Oxfam on Watford High Street can you think of a player who went from Torquay United in the fourth tier straight into the first team at Manchester United yeah one of my favorite players actually who's non-Spurs players yeah Lee Sharp wonderful book one of my favourite books that with David Conn yeah I, I bet you I bet you David Conn would I had this with as a great one of my favourite music writers Chris Heath where I met him at a party and I don't think he appreciated that I I don't know what to say to him because I'm Pet Shop Boys Robbie Williams exactly mm-hmm. before Robbie Williams this was almost 20 years ago, I think, and um, I bought his book when I was a kid on Brother Beyond. Oh, great. And I Egg White. I think when he was with his face journalist friends that he particularly appreciated it. So what I'm saying is I don't think David Cobb would appreciate me saying this, but I think it's a wonderful study of a free spirit trapped in a jar, mm. um, which was, you know, Alex Ferguson. As, as this, you know, very authoritarian manager and they just don't hit it off. And it's just, I just think it's such a fascinating personality clash that he details within the book with David Conn's help. I just remember when it came out, though, and... Um, 2005. A lot of these things, a lot of these things about timings and there was Lee Sharp had done, done a reality TV show. So it was on the, off the back of that. But it's a very good book, I think. I've read the first few chapters and Alex Ferguson comes off really well. He went down to Torquay to get him to sign, met him off the train at Manchester, put him up in digs. 
put him yeah. in a friendly and then said, hey, do you fancy playing on Saturday? But the, the opening yeah. paragraph, the opening chapter is brilliant. Uh, and he admits uh, he is the first pop star footballer of the premiership age uh, when football was becoming sexy. Uh, he's just turned 50. I'm sure you read the Athletics uh, interview with him. Ollie Kay went to play golf with him. Or, yeah. yeah, so Lee Sharp is a scratch golfer, uh, and yet he is not as acclaimed as Giggs, Beckham, Bart, Skulls, Neville, no. Neville, um, Gillespie. He's slightly, he had some great times in 1991, so he's just before that. Like Ryan Giggs almost exactly coincides with the Premier League being born. Lee Sharp is just before that. Um, and so when the Premier League. In the first couple of seasons of the Premier League, Lee Sharp is very much in 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 and out of the of, of the team. It's complicated by that, but yeah, no, it's um, Alex. Ferguson. I just found as as the book goes on, he details his dysfunctional relationship with Alex Ferguson, and I just thought it was. I, I haven't often read those accounts of uh, Robbie Fowler's very good in his book with um, Gerard Houllier, um that was published a few years or, or a few, maybe a few years before. The sharp book again. You know, you've got these very talented footballers come across managers whose personalities are just so different to theirs. Zlatan and Guardiola. Yeah, I didn't like. My brother was raving about Zlatan's book. I wasn't crazy about it. I mean, it was it was. um, Mino Raiola comes off well. It was riveting in a certain degree, but he he didn't want to hold the the book at a wall at places because he's very. He's in love with himself. He is, absolutely. Um, and that Troy Deeney, I think, has the maturity now, even though he's only 33, Deeney. Uh, I think that book is going to be great. And uh, also, I learned that Peter Schmeichel has a book out next week because I was looking for his first autobiography and then saw that he's got a book coming out, so I'm sure he'll be promoting it at the moment. Johnny Northcroft, who, is, um, who has interviewed his son Casper quite a bit, is a co-writer um, I was just wondering if you could name some of your favourite football journalists. Um, my favourite football journalists, uh, definitely Henry Henry Winter at, in the 90s and aughts. That's not to say he's still got it, but I think, remember at school, um, someone bringing in a Henry Winter, the cutting of a Henry Winter piece on Liverpool because the boy was a Liverpool fan and just um, a couple of us crowning rounds at to read what Henry Winter had written. Brian Butler, the uh, former Radio 2 correspondent, was great. Those radio guys, I love them. Um, Alan Green, mm-hmm. Mike Ingham, Ron Jones, they were really key for my footballing um, education. Glanville, obviously. Jonathan Wilson. I quite like Glenn Moore. Yeah. Um, I miss him, actually, writing for The Independent regularly. Um I thought he was very, um, very astute. Um, who else do I do I really like? You know, I, I think he do very. He polarizes opinion, but I, I quite like Jeff Powell when he writes about football because he's always got something to say. Um, Martin Samuel is very good like that as well. I think Martin Samuel is very good at noticing things that are out there that no one else has. has written about fellow West Ham fan um, I think he, he and Brian may have shared a drink once oh, upon a time. yep 
I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure that they I'll have. Yeah, I'll um, have I like Dave, Dave Kidd and the, the Sun. Is quite a good reader of the game when he um, and you got the Spurs contingent. So you've got the Martin Liptons mm-hmm. um, of this world, who are very um, stupid. Mihir Bose, who's ghostwritten quite a few Tottenham books. Yeah, it's um, sorry. We're blessed with a lot of great football writers. So <laughs> when you compare yourself to any of them, no wonder you've gone into financial comms and uh, writing about Broadway oh, no, shows. I, 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 I don't have what they have, which is just this ability to on a uh, at a split second write what you see I think I might have a crack at it if I have a few hours thinking time but um, the quality of the reports that they that, that they all do even now is pretty um, pretty darn good isn't it yeah um, I tried it once and a couple of times actually um, I covered a Spurs tour for the standard about 10 years ago in New York and it just didn't it was like um, a teenage girl at a Bay City Rollers concert <laughs> in the 1970s it just didn't fit and um, I just remember a journalist at the Sun asking Robbie Keane about his future and Robbie Keane just was a nice man by all accounts just walking off in a huff and I, I was, you know, part of me was with Robbie Keane and just thinking, don't ask him that. And, you know, I just, um, yeah. And then, um, and then it was quite amusing because they, I was covering um, uh, Spurs and I didn't know, uh, we interviewed Harry Redknapp in a pack and uh, a journalist who I won't name um, went, ran after me and said, we don't know who you are, which I took exception to. Um, I just didn't like his tone. Mm-hmm. And he said, you're not going to... Uh, so the embargo's Tuesday afternoon for the news about... I think it was Woodgate wasn't in the wasn't in the top squad that season that Redknapp had revealed, which I didn't even know was a story. And he's like, don't, write, don't reveal that until Tuesday afternoon. Um, and I thought, you know what? I don't like your tone of voice. So I told, I told the standard on Monday, um, and I think they they got one of their guys to do it on Monday, just because I objected to uh, to this particular gentleman's attitude. Yeah, politics. Uh, now, of course, I now of course I'd come down like a ton of bricks if that happens in uh, if someone does that in financial comms. But at the time, I just um, I just took exception to it. But yeah, on the whole, I just. Uh, but football, football was very important. Obviously, it still is important, but it was very important to me um, in terms of how I became a journalist. I just pursued other directions, uh, entertainment and business um, as a journalist. But then you could argue that football itself is the the uh, kind of synthesis of business yeah. and entertainment. Absolutely, so, yes. Absolutely, and that's why you've got lots of business journalists or finance journalists like the great Kira Maguire, uh, like Dan G, the law. And yes, and the sports element and the personality-led element. I mean, the big stories about football now are Kane, Messi, Holland, Lukaku. It's all about the big money men, whereas Spurs have signed this goalkeeper, Galini, who I think will get some football this season. Uh, a big centre-back called Romero. Uh, they've swapped Lamella out, so RIP the Rabona. Uh, Brian Gill's come in. The great Sonny is still repping South Korea. He's like the BTS of English football. 
Uh, and meanwhile, Deli Ali is still there. Do you reckon Nuno will play him or get rid of him? The early signs are very encouraging. I thought he was a goner, but he seems to be um, he seems to be a new man. But time will tell. We will. Uh, and we're talking before the big six-game start of the season. Again, it was something ridiculous like Man City, Chelsea, Newcastle, Watford, Palace and Wolves are the first six games for Spurs. So that story will run and run. The year does end in one and then becomes a two. Uh, but I do wish yeah, Spurs I think, well. I think the year ends in one thing has now gone out, sadly, because we haven't... It's been 30 years. There's no instance in the 21st century of the year ending in one being good for us. In fact, Sol Campbell um, left in me in 01. And, um, yeah, 2011, we didn't qualify for the... Uh, for the Champions League, um, as we did in the year previously. So I think, sadly, um, maybe Chaz and Dave killed it. It's lucky for Spurs when the year ends in one. And that is true. And Chaz and Dave is no longer a going concern because... No, exactly. Yes, Chaz uh, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't have said that much. I do, by the way, I do think that Diamond Lights by Hoddle and Waddle is a properly banging song. I agree. And I think it's great. I agree. And I'm so sick of... Diamond Lights being slated when it's a, you know, if if Ultravox had done Diamond Lights or something, it'd be considered very differently. And I, I really take my hat off to Hotter, Waddle and Hoddle for doing that. And uh, I think that's a good place to um, leave it because there is a music section in the show. I don't know if you ever bought that tape of all the Spurs songs, including Ozzy's Dream and um, yeah, I Nice One I Cyril. Did. I don't know what happened to it. I did, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's in the library. Um, so let's put on yeah. Diamond Lights. Uh, Tom Teodotic, your football library card is here. I will be talking to your Uncle Brian. Uh, I've got an Uncle Brian as well. Uh, in, in time, and we'll be talking about the great era of football journalism and Brian Glanville. But first of all, thank you for listening. And uh, if you were to write a book in the football library or a pamphlet, what would you choose to write it on? I think I'd write about football between 1985 and 1995 and how it changed and how the early Premier League changed whether or not the changes that we saw in regards to foreign players and the money whether that kicked in instantly or how it how it evolved over time because it was 95 really that modern football began I think it was when Eric Cantona kicked the Palace fan at Selhurst Park that was the moment which coincided I think to the week about the Bosman ruling oh really on my 17th birthday. Yeah, I remember going out for a few, a few friends at the pub and then um, the uh, the news on the pub. Um, it's the main story. Yeah. Overshadowing everything, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so yep. we will, karate, hopefully Spurs will karate kick other fans. And fun fact, I think Eric Cantona is like one year older than Lee Sharp. Um, when we meet up to do some karaoke, uh, we can bring your son along. How old is your son and who does he support? 14. He's brilliant. He's, uh, he supports, um, well, he supports Spurs. Good, he's well wavering. Done. He is wavering. But he's brilliant at tactics in a way that I'm not. Ooh, I shall talk and to I'm him about that. I'm ashamed to say that when Harry Kane was playing under Sherwood, I didn't rate him. And my son, who was about, I'm going to say seven or eight, said to me, no, this, no, Harry Kane's really, really good. So by accident or by design, he, uh, he predicted Harry Kane. But he, he watches far too many 
YouTube influencers about football who've no idea what they're talking about, but he's um he's certainly looks at it in a more data driven way than than yeah. I, I did growing up. Well, that's the experience uh, influence of Nathan and Karen. Johnny, more, important, more importantly. What a wonderful choice of name. I applaud, yeah. applaud you and your wife. Well, I hope little Johnny does listen to this show and maybe I'll have him on in a couple of years when he writes his book. Super. Many thanks. No, thank Johnny. you. You've got to go after your interview. So let's hear Hoddle and Indeed Waddle. <laughs> 